I've been teaching on memorials and uh, <clears throat> had set scriptures in my heart to preach this Sunday. And someone uh, sent me a sermon from Pastor John Kilpatrick. And as I was listening to it and preparing my message, uh, some of what he was saying just fitted in perfectly with what God put on my heart. And I believe that God is intentional. He does things with intention. And God is speaking and God is stirring his church and rallying his church. How many of you want to be rallied by God? Right? Amen. And so... Uh, I want to very quickly just lead off with a scripture that I led off with uh, when I started this series, and that's in Leviticus chapter 2. And uh, I know we've read this, and I'm just going to read it very quickly. But in the Old Testament, God, among the many offerings that he told them to prepare, one was called a memorial offering. It was special. It was special in this regard. This was an offering. It wasn't a, an offering of the blood of bulls or goats or animals. Those blood offerings were done in the outer court. The outer court was open to everyone. And they would come in and bring their animals as a sacrifice, the animal would stand in their place and the innocence of the animal would be sacrificed on behalf of the person who had sin in their lives. And that was a humongous altar. It was huge. And it was in the outer court. But as the priest worked their ways towards the Holy of Holies, just before you go through the veil, that separated the holy of holies, the place where God was said to live. Just before you step in there, there's a veil. And in front of that veil was an altar. And they would bring the offerings of incense. And it would burn before the, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a gold box that had a throne sitting on it and it was called the mercy seat how many of you know god still sits on a mercy seat isn't it amazing that the enemy has painted a view of god right throughout the church that god sits on a, a judgment throne do you know that he only does that at the end of the ages when everyone's life will be tallied up. That's the only time God sits on a judgment throne. He's been sitting on a mercy seat. And he wants to show mercy and grace. He wants to show you his love. Can I get an agreement? I find it amazing that even in the Old Testament, there's God seated on a mercy seat. So there's this altar where they would burn incense just in front of the curtain, in front of the Ark of the Covenant that the mercy seat was part of. And this is what it says. When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, their offering is to be of the finest flour, 
and they're to pour olive oil on it and put incense on it. And the next verse goes on to say, and take it to Aaron's sons, the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of the flour and the oil together with all the incense and burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to God. Can you smell the aroma? For an Italian, that's a great incense offering. (laughs) Food is a great incense offering. But God had told Moses, listen, I want you to do all these things, and while they might sound peculiar, make sure that you attend to everything in detail. Now, I want you all to hear this. God said to Moses, make sure you do everything I said and attend to it in detail. He says, because Moses, I'm going to get you to carry out all of these different facets of worship in the tabernacle, and it's a pattern of what's in heaven. What you do here on earth, and it seems symbolic, the reality of it is in heaven. That's what God told Moses. And so Moses put all these things together. And then we read in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 5, how after Jesus had risen from the dead and he went into the Holy of Holies, and now he's the high priest at the Holy of Holies in heaven. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 to 5, it says at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. Unlike other Romans in the Roman Empire, this man, Cornelius, had converted to Judaism. And so he wasn't polytheistic in his view of God. He understood that there was one God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac the God of Jacob, and he had converted to Judaism, but he didn't just convert. The Bible says this guy was passionate. The Bible says this guy was God-fearing. Do you know what God-fearing means? It means you have such a respect in your heart for God that you never want to offend him. You don't want to do things that would displease him. You don't want to do things that would give his name a bad reputation because people know you're a follower of this God. Well, here's Cornelius. He was God-fearing. In other words, in everything he did, he always wanted to know, God, how does this sit with you? I want to tell you that in society today, We need to redevelop a culture both in the church and outside the church of a God awareness, a God consciousness, not with nature, but with the God who created nature. Can I get an amen? And there needs to be in the church of Jesus Christ again a seriousness about, hey God, I respect you and I have a reverence for you. How does this sit with you? How does this part of my life sit with you? God, what do you think about this decision I'm about to make? Cornelius was a man who was very sincere and very serious in his sincerity of worshiping God. 
He wanted to be a God pleaser. He wanted to be right before God. I would imagine that if you're a centurion and you're of the Italian regiment and here you are in Caesarea, which was a city built just for Caesar by Herod the Great, I would imagine that you were a man of great importance and yet his importance never went to his head. His busyness never went to his head. Who he was in the natural, the fact that he could give a command and people would run and hurry to do the very things he required. And yet this guy lived with an attitude that he wanted to make sure he was always pleasing to the God of heaven. I think we need to find that a lot more in the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? It's one thing to believe in a God. It's one thing to believe in God, Yahweh. But James even says in his letter, his epistle, even demons believe in Yahweh. They met him face to face. They used to worship him. Demons believe in Yahweh, but they don't surrender their lives to him. They don't live according to his will and his ways. And so uh, it's not just a matter, you know, we, we've built churches filled with believers but we need more than believers to move society. We need Christians who become disciples and who are God-fearing and God-faithful and God-loving and God-conscious. And I'm glad that a heap of them come to this church. Amen. Amen. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family, they were devout. They were God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him. And he said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at this angel, he stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. How you live will either etch a positive memory in God's mind or no memory at all. I want an etch, a positive memory in God's mind. I want to pull on the strings of his heart. I want God to look down from heaven and say, look at that guy. He makes a ton of mistakes, but man, is he passionate. Man, is he zealous. Man, he gets excited about me. I want God to say, yeah, every once in a while he puts his foot in his mouth, but... He overrides all of his mistakes by the fact that he lives with a passion to get everyone else equally as excited about me, God. Amen. You see, how we live can be a memorial offering before God. He was a man, very important, very powerful, probably wealthy for the position he held, very busy but never too busy 
to have a whopping huge soft spot for God. I believe that busyness and responsibility are things that the devil ratches up in our society so that people don't have time for God. And we have to be careful because so often in the name of busyness and in the name of attending to our business, we forget God's business. To be God-fearing is to always be conscious of him and putting him first in your life. Can I get an amen? There are two things that made up Cornelius' memorial offering. One was a life of prayer. This angel comes from heaven and says, God knows you by your prayers. God remembers you because of your prayers. Your prayers, even when you're not praying, you pray with such fervency, they echo in the halls of heaven. And your generosity to anybody in need, your generosity, you give. You, don't, you haven't become a lover of gold. You've seen that gold is your servant and it's meant to serve you and serve the kingdom of heaven. Hallelujah. Can I get an equally as loud amen for that? Amen. 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 So there are two things that made up Cornelius' memorial offering. Can you stop for a moment and imagine? There are two things that a human being was doing, and it got God's attention to such a degree that he probably said, Hey, all you angels, hang on. Look at this guy. Come on, watch this guy. He is constantly thinking of other people, being generous, helping other people. Look at this guy, a hardened Roman centurion, and yet he's like a little kid on the inside. He's just gushing with love for people in need and for God. And God says, Angel, I want you to go visit this guy. And I want you to let him know. He pressed my impress button. I want to press God's impressed button. How many of you want to press God's impressed button? Amen. Amen. Two things that Cornelius was known in heaven for. Prayer. A fervent prayer. And generosity. So I want to talk about prayer this morning. Prayer is a memorial offering. I want to show you something. I want to teach you. I want to make a connection. Remember God said to Moses, everything I told you to do, do it with purpose. Do it exactly the way I commanded you because it's a copy of what's in heaven. I want to pull this together and I want to show you how you fit into all of this. I want to show you what happens up in heaven and so we're going to turn to Revelations. <clears throat> Revelations chapter, um, yep. Actually, would you go to Revelations chapter 5? I'm going to use 8 later. Would you do that? Sorry, Tony. I forgot to, I had moved it to the end of the sermon and forgot to delete it up there. Revelations chapter 5, verse 8. 
It's talking about the Lamb of God. It says, and when he had taken it, if you read it, he had taken the scroll from the 24 elders. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Now watch this. 24 elders, four living creatures, they fall down before Jesus Christ, our high priest. He's the high priest. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And the devil wants us to really believe that God doesn't hear us when we pray. Do you understand the 24 elders? That's pretty high up. They weren't just angels. They had magnificent authority. And when we study the word of God, the 24 elders are constantly around the throne of God. And John has this vision, he's taken up into the third heaven, and he's watching all of this. It's like somebody put a DVD player on a big screen, and John's living it in surround sound, and he's got, you know, Panavision. He can turn around, and he's seeing everything. He's up in heaven. And 24 key players who are always around the throne of God hold bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the church. Wow. The prayers I pray are so important to God. He assigns them to one of the 24 elders, and he mixes it with incense. All right? This is where Cornelius' prayers were going. And they made a memorial offering. Remember with the memorial offering, you would take the flour and the oil and you'd put the incense in it and you would burn it on an altar before God. Well, here we see in heaven, here they are and they've got the bowl and they've mixed the flour and the oil, so to speak, and the incense and the prayers of the saints come up before God day and night and the 24 elders are in charge of all the prayers of God's kids around the earth. That's how important you are to God. And your needs are that important that they are constantly before Him. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's verse 8. Now let's read verse 9. They had fallen down and worshipped and they sang a new song. Now listen to what they sing. They sing to the Lamb, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons, men and women from every tribe and language and people group and nation. Let's go to the next part of that verse. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So watch this. God tells Moses, make this tabernacle exactly the way I've commanded you, because this is a pattern of what's going on in heaven. And now we get a peeky boo into heaven, and what we see. 
is that the angels are holding our prayers together and they are a form of incense before God's throne. And the, the, the 24 elders fall down in worship and they start telling Jesus, you're worthy to take the scroll, you're worthy to open up the, the seals because you have purchased people from every culture, from every tongue, from every background. You have died for every man and every woman. And verse 10, you've called them, you've destined them, you've appointed them, you've anointed them to be a kingdom on earth and to be priests who serve God and they will reign on the earth. Listen, if our prayers are measly little cries for help and God's not going to answer, then how is the kingdom of priests going to reign on earth? This is a God who hears our prayers and this is a God who is quick to answer. Praise him. Come on. But what I love from this scripture is the fact that God has ordained every one of us to be a priest on earth. And that as we intercede and as we pray, we have direct connection with heaven. And so much so that there are 24 elders in heaven who serve the church of Jesus Christ by holding close to their bosom the prayers and the intercessions of the saints. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Let's have a look at verse 8. And in verse 8, uh, sorry, chapter 8, we're going to turn to chapter 8 and look at verse 3 and 4. You know, as I was preparing this message, how many of you know who John Kilpatrick is, Pastor John Kilpatrick? Some of you. There was uh, about 20 years or more ago, a phenomenal revival here in Florida in the Panhandle. It went for five years. People would line up almost every day of the week, and they would line up from about six in the morning, seven in the morning. They flew in from around the world because God was moving in this church. In the first three months, now this revival went for five years. In the first three months, over 350,000 people came and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That's incredible. You see, what we need today, society and politics and everything has gone so crazy We need a supernatural reset. And the only way we're going to get a supernatural, the only way America and the world is going to come back from the edge of the cliff is if there is a supernatural reset. Can you imagine revivals breaking out all around the world like that where in three months 350,000 people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ? He shares in this video how 
people they had counseled only six months earlier and they were working their way through a divorce. Now in the revival, husband and wife are sitting on the floor in the church weeping and asking forgiveness of each other and, and hugging one another and strongholds being broken off of people's lives. How many of you want to see a move of God around the world like this? Amen. But what we have been fooled out of believing is that you and I are priests of the church and we play a very important role in heaven today. I said in heaven. Why in heaven? Because what we do here on earth registers in heaven. What we do is recorded in heaven. What we do takes effect in heaven. And as we the church start to pray, listen, Cornelius was giving offerings to the poor. He was helping people. He was generous. Do you think he was only praying for himself? I think he was praying for the Roman Empire, knowing in his heart how corrupt they were. I think he was praying for the injustices happening in the streets that he was meant to patrol over. I'm sure he was praying over the poor people who were begging for alms, as was custom in Israel at that time, according to the Mosaic law. He was a man of status. He was a man of power. He was a man who uh, in the natural would have been the toughest man. He would have been a, 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 a challenge in battle. And yet he was a man who was soft in regards to the needs of people and soft in regards to the heart of God. I want to talk a moment to the man in this church. I don't know, I don't think that any of us have ever reached such a status in the army of the United States of America that there would be any here who would be a general. Maybe some Marines. Maybe some sailors, maybe some pilots. Ladies, I'll get to you in a moment. But too often, the enemy has taken us out of the most important warfare of the universe. We get involved in the things of the world. We get involved in the affairs of life. We get involved in the wars of men. But God is looking for men who will be Hercules, men who will stand up and be the sons of God that we're destined to be. God is looking for men like Cornelius that no matter what rank, no matter what power, no matter what authority you have in the natural, your heart remains soft towards those that are less fortunate than yourself and you're generous towards them. And with a heart like that, when you're praying, you're not just praying for you, you're praying for everyone else as well. You see, we think intercession is something that Pastor Jan is supposed to do. We think intercession is something that the ladies are supposed to do. Don't tell me for one moment that Cornelius was generous to hurting people. And then when he prayed, he just prayed about God, bless me and my wife, my son and my daughter, us four, and no more. 
You can't go from being the heart of compassion and the heart of generosity to then just praying egotistical self Based prayers. No, this was a man who interceded for the people on the streets. He interceded for the broken. He interceded for the widow. He interceded against injustice. He interceded against the paganism of the Roman Empire. He interceded that the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob would visit the earth and touch the masses. I thank God we have a, a prayer chain in this church. Amy and John, John's probably one of the oldest men in our congregation. He still has to bend down to hug me. When I want to hug him, I, I really need to climb up on a chair like this. John is so tall. But getting a little bit weak in age just recently went to the hospital with pneumonia. And Pastor Tom and I, Pastor Tom called up on Friday and I said, come on, Pastor Tom, let's go visit him. Well, they were already discharging him. Did it, he had pneumonia, right? Was it double pneumonia? Beginning stages of pneumonia and how old is dad? 84 years old. I thank God for a praying church. I thank God for people who pray. I thank God that there are prayer meetings here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Tuesday night as well and Sunday. What am I saying? Every day. I may not know you I don't know you very deeply. You've just started coming to this church. I don't know about your life, but I'm glad you're here. And I want you to know that we need men who know how to be men and be spiritual at the same time. We need Roman soldiers in the spirit. We need men who could take on a garrison of demons and not be afraid. And not because of how much you worked out in the gym, but because of how much you worked out in prayer before the Lord. Hallelujah. And we need women to continue to be godly. We need women to put on the grace of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, in Christ, your prayers are just as powerful to toppling the powers of darkness and causing there to be a shaking in the belly of hell. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, the earth groans. Earthquakes, tremors, the earth groans because it has been defiled by sin. And it's groaning as if it's in labor. And Paul says the earth groans in an anxious expectancy for the sons of God to stand up. The earth tremors, the earth shakes. 
And there are consequences. And there are devastations in the natural. Let me tell you something that science won't tell you about because they know nothing about it. When the church of Jesus Christ becomes a praying army, the belly of hell shakes and the belly of hell tremors and the belly of hell starts to fall apart because the sons and the daughters of God are on their knees and there is a direct link between your prayers and God's altar and his seed of mercy. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise if you believe it. Yes! I pray that not only do we always maintain and retain the shout of God and a shout of victory in this place, but I pray that it will increase and increase and increase and increase. Listen, the number one thing the devil doesn't want you to do is pray. The number one reason the enemy will make prayer the last thing you do is because it builds a memorial presence before God. You can't pray without one of those 24 elders scooping it up and bringing it before the mercy seat. Hallelujah. You want to know why you're here? You want to know what your purpose is on earth? Oh, God's got purposes for you and your family and your kids. Absolutely. But let me tell you something. God has a purpose for you as the body of Jesus Christ. And somebody needs to get on their knees and start understanding who they are in Christ. Because when the sons of God get on their knees and they cry out in the name of Jesus, demons go running, demons go packing, demons go hiding. When the church of Jesus Christ isn't on vacation, when the church of Jesus Christ isn't just praying for its next little blessing, when the church of Jesus Christ understands that we are a kingdom on earth, we are a kingdom of priests, we are a tabernacle and there is a direct link between us and heaven when the church understands this and steps into its destiny. The atmosphere on earth starts to change. Demons go into hiding. And the Holy Ghost starts to move. Two things caught God's attention. And these two things made a memorial offering in heaven. It struck God. It wrote all over his heart. And he couldn't help but see it and hear it. Cornelius was generous. And he helped people in need. He cared. He cared. He loved It was a nuisance at times. It was inconvenient at times. 
It put a price on his shoulders at times. We want a convenient Christianity. But I want to tell you, there's nothing convenient about taking up your cross and dying on that cross like your Savior died. We want a nice polished religion. We want comfortableness. And we have allowed the atmosphere and the attitude that has brought America to where America is, we want that in our Christianity. And you know what? We got it and it's brought the church to where the church is. And I'm calling Christians everywhere to wake up and understand Moses built it according to pattern. And the priests served at a pattern on earth while it was happening in the reality of heaven. And we, the church of Jesus Christ, are called to the same observances because as we pray and seek the face of God from this kingdom of sons, it goes straight into the heavens and angels are in attendance to our prayers. And Jesus will bid them, it is finished. Amen. Amen. Revelations chapter 8, I'm going to finish with this. I said I'd read it. Revelations chapter 8, verse 3 to 4. Another angel. This is another chapter. Another angel who had a golden censer that would put incense in the censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Remember I told you that right in front of the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the Holies, there was a smaller altar. Out there was the altar for blood sacrifice. But once our sins are forgiven, you and I are called to the next altar. If we're still living only in the fact that we're saved, hallelujah, I'm going to heaven, you're still in the outer court. But when you come to the altar of intercession, the altar of memorial offerings, the altar of incense, You've come out of the outer court and into the holy place. And today, the veil doesn't exist. So you have come into the holy of holies. When you and I, this is the problem. Too much of the church has had the, the blood of the Lamb of Heaven sacrificed in the outer court. And we're still in the outer court. And we haven't put on our ephod. We haven't put on our priestly garments. We haven't come into that holy place before God, a holy place of living where we start to arrest every wrong attitude and every wrong desire and we become our own disciplinarians and say, come on, enough of that. 
We do away with these things. We haven't put on the, the ephod of the priesthood and come into the holy of holies because that's where the altar of incense and the altar of memorial offerings are. And I want to tell you, God was impressed and God was amazed that a man who was born in a polytheistic culture converted to Judaism and had such a fervency to serve God that he would take off his natural armor and as a man put on a holy ephod and come before the holy throne of God and intercede for all the people that he had shown acts of kindness and generosity to. In the Roman Empire, God found a centurion who stripped off all the outer worldly stuff and came as a priest before the mercy seat of God on a regular basis. I believe that's where the church should be living. But too often, we're still living in the outer court. Remember, God said to Moses, this is a pattern of the realities in heaven. So there is an outer court in our day-to-day life. And there's a holy place, and there's a holy of holies. I thank God I am washed by the blood of Jesus, but I don't want to live in the outer court. I want to come into the holy of holies, and I want to be effective as a man, as a child of God, as a, whether you're a daughter, whether you're a son, that we become effective before the mercy seat of God. Can I get an amen? Come on, stand with me. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Steve, I know that after services, we're not geared up for the worship team to come down the front. And I know that we usually have piped music. But you know that song we sang, We Need a Move? Oh, how that touches something deep down inside of me. Roger, look at me. Every man, look at me. Women, look at me. I don't want enough of Christ just to get to heaven. I want enough of Christ and his Holy Spirit to take a whole nation with me. I don't want my Christianity to be just about me. I want to be like Cornelius who had eyes to see where everybody else was at and a heart to carry them. Yeah. And the natural, he was supposed to be a big brute. You watch movies of Roman soldiers beating the people down. And here was a Roman centurion who carried them on his shoulders into the Holy of Holies and made intercession. What would happen? What would happen, Micah, if we, the church, became like Cornelius and we carried the cares of the lost 
before our Father. What would happen if we, the church, stopped praying just for a month for our own personal blessing and breakthroughs? You know, I, I found a real powerful principle in prayer. When I need something really bad, I learned this when I was in the middle of having kidney stone pain. I was going to say agony. It is agony. And here I am in the middle of kidney stone agony. And God said, will you pray for people while you're in pain? And while I was in agony, the Holy Spirit led me. I mean, I was, you know how much pain I was in? You see, they say the pain of a kidney stone is not only the fact that this stone is trying to rip its way through, but also that it blocks your urinary ducts. And so your kidneys start swelling up like balloons. Well, you need that stone to move. I was in so much pain. I had my head and my back on my living room floor and my legs elevated over the back of the sofa to try to get that stone to move. And as I laid there, I started thinking of everyone I knew that needed prayer. Instead of praying for me, I said, Father, bless this one. Give them a breakthrough. Bless this one. Deliver them and set them free. You see, a Cornelius, as strong as he is, doesn't hesitate to weep in the presence of God. And he carried other people's needs before the altar. And he would carry someone's son and weep before the altar and say, God, touch this lady's son. She has no husband and her son is an invalid and she has little needs. Oh God, I pray, I've given finances to help her, but God, only you can raise up her son and turn her circumstances around and he'd stand or kneel before that place, that place that he set aside in his house and he'd cry out to God for people less fortunate than himself. We usually cry out to God so that we'll be more fortunate than we are. <laughs> But a memorial offering is when you put yourself in a place that isn't convenient and you're praying for people less fortunate than you. Would you sing this song with me? And as you sing it, I want you, if the Spirit of God has touched you, I want you to say, God, we want to move and I want to be a Cornelius who moves your hand and your heart from heaven. Does everyone understand what I'm saying? If you understand what I'm saying, give me a wave. All right, now put your hand down. If you want to be a part of what I'm saying, give me a wave. Come on, let's sing and worship and cry out to God for a move of His Holy Spirit. Amen. Mountains are still being moved. Amen. And strongholds are still being.
we believe, yes we can see, wonders are still what you do God, oh when bodies are still being raised, giants are still being slain, God we believe it, yes we can see it, Wonders are still what you do
Sometimes I preach to motivate, to excite, to give you good news. Sometimes I preach to teach so that we can do. I believe that this series that God has put on my heart is God speaking to us as a congregation to get us in a place where He can move in a greater way amongst us. I don't go to the internet and look up series titles or sermon titles or sermons for that matter. I pray, I seek God, and I ask Him, what do you want to tell the church? And so this is what I believe with all my heart. God doesn't want you to just live your life. Just a little softer. I'm going to say that again. God doesn't want you to just live your life. He wants you to live His life. And He's calling the church to do what only the church can do on the earth. Presidents, ambassadors, kings, governors, they can't do what needs to happen. But the church of Jesus Christ can. And our greatest strength is in humility. Our greatest strength is when we empty ourselves of us and let our hearts be soft with love and compassion and care. Our greatest strength is when we come before the altar and we cry out for the needs of others. We start to intercede. Dad, save my son. Bring him to Jesus. Save my mother. Jesus, raise her up and cause her to be born again. Father, I pray for my neighbors, they're lost. Come, Holy Spirit. As I worship you here in my house, let it touch my neighbors on either side of me. That they'll start to feel the presence of you. Draw them, God. We need a move. We need a move. You see, you can go to church, and we do. And I love it when we come to church. But we're called, each and every one of us, to be the church. The Holy Spirit challenges you to make a decision, what kind of Christianity are you living? Are you living in the outer court? Are you living in the holy place and the holy of holies? Are you living in the kingdom of the United States of America as a citizen? Are you living in the kingdom of God as priests we have the power we put so much confidence in our democracy and our right to vote and we have a voice I gotta tell you I want every one of you to vote 
But if I have to compare to the voice that I have in voting in the United States of America, to the voice that I have in heaven, my right to vote is a joke. In comparison, I vote. I want you to vote. But more than that, much more than that, I want your voice to be heard in the heavens. Amen. Let's give the 24 elders something to fill their bowls with. Let's cry out for those less fortunate than us. Let's cry out for people to get saved. And let's cry out for a move of the Holy Ghost. Can I get an amen? Amen. Turn around, give someone a high five, an elbow bump, a hug, whatever. Greet each other. Amen. Amen. I challenge you to pray. I challenge you to stay. And I challenge you to run after God with everything that is in you. Amen.